0: Welcome to TYT Interviews. I believe we have an excellent interview for you guys today, Professor Reza Aslan. He's got a new book, God, a Human History. Um- And of course, old books, No God But God, Zealot, The Life and Times of Jesus of Nazareth, some of which I've interviewed you for and others as well. Nice Um, to see you again. Good to see you, brother. Yeah. So where shall we start? Let's start with the book. You know that you and I agree on a lot of things. One thing we don't agree on is exactly is religion Mm because I'm agnostic. and, And Yeah. You, as you said in another interview did we did, you choose to use the language of religion. That's uh, right, yeah. Right, and so that's fascinating. So when you say God of human history, um, what are we talking about here? How about how humans invented God or well, no?
1: Not how humans invented God, but how humans have conceived of God okay. throughout human history, really from the beginning of the very concept. You know, the book doesn't take a position on whether there is a God or not because there is no proof either way. I mean, mm-hmm. honestly, like being an agnostic is the only intellectually honest response to the question of whether there is a God. Mm-hmm. The reason I should say that I don't call myself agnostic is that the truth of the matter is that that most people who call themselves agnostic, they don't mean that they don't know if there's a God. What they really mean is that they don't care if there's a God. And I do. (laughs) And regardless, I I fully believe that faith is just a choice. There's no way of proving or disproving someone's faith. Faith is an emotion. It's not a rational response. It's an experiential response. That's what it's supposed to be. And as you just mentioned a while ago, as you and I have talked about before, religion is the language you use to express your faith. But what I'm interested in is how the 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 process through which the very concept of God arose in human evolution deep, deep in our past has created this almost, it's like a cognitive impulse, right? It's like a little blip Uh, in our brains that compels us, whether we believe in God or not, to fashion God in our own image, to give God our personality and our emotions, our virtues and our vices, uh, our biases and our bigotries. Um, We kind of can't help it. Our brains are designed this way. And as you can imagine, that's not Necessarily a good thing. You know, I mean, if you're basically creating a God who's just a superhuman version of you, um, that I think more than anything else explains why we have such uh, tremendous religious conflicts around the world, why religion can be used to foster such negative, hurtful, biased,
0: and violent
1: things in the world, while at the same time also doing good and beauty and compassion.
0: Yeah. So uh I'm always amused by the idea of the dude in the sky with a beard. Um right. <laughs> not only is God some sort of superhuman, he's you know, clearly a Homo sapien that has arisen of some sort <laughs> fun and like not Homo erectus, not something later, not from a different planet, not but like looks like a Homo sapien and specifically has to have a beard. <laughs> like clean-shaving God is unacceptable, <laughs> right? So Look, I don't have issues. Jesus with- is sometimes clean-shaven, right? Uh-uh. He looks very
1: nice and blonde and sometimes. blue-eyed. He's got that beautiful ivory skin. Yeah,
0: <laughs> but sometimes with like a flowing light skin yeah. beard as well, yeah, uh, yeah. almost Santa Clausian. <laughs> <laughs> what is it with all the religious figures that have to have a beard? Like, and funny enough, like you know, we I, I mainly grew up in America. You mainly grew up in America. So, like. Christian figures, cuz it's a majority yeah. Christian country. Seven out of ten. Right, are, are like, their beards are awesome, like Santa <laughs> has a fun beard, right? Grand Ayatollah, <laughs> yeah, not a fun beard, really bad
1: no, beard. You don't, want, okay. you, don't want, you don't want the Muslim beard, you want no. <laughs> the, so here's the funny thing, is that first of all, just to blow your mind a little bit, we have ample evidence of not just Neanderthal spiritual expression, but mm. even homo erectus spiritual expression so whatever this thing is however you want to define it this religious impulse this thing that just kind of exists in our brain whether it's an accident or whether it's on purpose whatever it is we can trace it back to even before our species existed and that's significant right that's something that we need to to kind of figure out why and and you know we can talk about that question all you want to but this joke about God as an old man with a beard, Is not a joke. We're actually cognitively compelled to think of God in those terms. Most of us tend to turn God into a kind of father figure, which is why he always has a beard and why he lives up in heaven and why he has sometimes a throne. And in fact, Really, when you, when you look at these sort of studies done by cognitive psychologists on children, whether those children come from religious backgrounds or not. When you ask them to start describing what they think of God, they just naturally start to, to create this superhuman being with human emotions, but without human limitations. So we're kind of born with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I think is so fascinating.
0: Yeah, and look, we create many fables of superhumans like Superman and the Justice right? League. And it could have been Aquaman. Let's not bring up the Justice League, I yeah. mean, come on, let's just, no. But. It could have been Aquaman and we decided <laughs> right. to go with God instead. Okay, so you brought that up, it's really interesting. What did Homo erectus do and was his God like slightly bent over? <laughs> <laughs> well, look, so we do. Talking about the origins of
1: religious experience is a difficult topic, right? Cuz you're talking about deep into prehistory. And essentially what we're left with is um, material evidence. We dig stuff up out of the ground, we date it, we try to interpret it. And then we try to base some kind of theory based on that interpretation. So obviously there are an enormous amount of, of variables there and some debate about what the meaning is. That said, We have ample evidence of graves burials that that clearly show the evidence of ritualistic behavior. And by the way, I should just mention just the very fact that our ancient ancestors buried the dead is an indication of a spiritual exercise because there is no reason. To bury a dead body, uh, particularly, of course, at that time, it's far more—it's far less materially expensive in terms of time and effort. Things that should be used for survival to just simply dump a body out and let the animals and the birds take care of it. But not only did we bury our dead, but we buried them with trinkets, we buried them with tools and with necklaces and and things that were precious to them when they were alive. Things that they may need in the next life. That process itself is indicative of a spiritual process. But we also even have evidence of idols, things that that clearly express some kind of spiritual significance that have been dated 200, 300,000 years or more. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there is a fair bit of unanimity. In the field of religious studies, that what, however you want to define the religious impulse, and remember, I'm not saying religion. Mm-hmm, religion mm-hmm. is a new thing. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the impulse towards it, mm-hmm. that that predates the existence of Homo sapiens.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. So I, uh, I'm agnostic not because I don't care. I'm fascinated by all this, but because uh, I am uh, sure that uh, there is. Like I don't begrudge people their, their faith, but I'm sure that the religions are untrue. I'm positive <laughs> of it, so it's not remotely true. Uh, so it's not like ah uh, could go either way. Yeah. And the reason I don't begrudge people's faith is, you know, when you talk about God, there's a thousand different ways uh, that you could define that. So is it possible that there is some higher consciousness in the universe, uh, higher than a Homo sapien on planet Earth? Mm-hmm. Of course. <laughs> that's possible. <laughs> yeah. what, what shape and form does that take? No one knows. No one knows. And if you claim to know, it is weirdly counterfactual uh, and presumptive. Yeah. So uh, I say in either direction, right? Yeah. Um, so now having said all that, when you see the human history of God and how we have created him and I would argue created him mm-hmm. and- It. It, right? And you and we've got it apparently in our DNA to create it. mm hmm To me, that sounds like we have an evolutionary impulse that is somehow helps us to survive, to think that there might be other lives or or a a supernatural creature, etc. Doesn't that seem to be the far more rational explanation than No, maybe Yahweh spoke to a dude on top of a mountain. Yeah, it does seem like the more rational explanation. And in fact, really,
1: since the time of Darwin, um, scholars have been trying desperately to figure out what the evolutionary, what the adaptive advantage to the religious impulse would have been. Because, look, again, there is no question about the fact that the religious impulse is a universal impulse that exists in all cultures and it exists all the way back in time again, even before our species. So if that's true, then there must be an evolutionary reason for it. There must be an adaptive advantage. And for about 200 years, we've been trying to figure out what that adaptive advantage is. And there have been a number of very good answers to that question, but they've all fallen short. People will say, well, the religious impulse created social cohesion, so an ancient community with religion would have had an adaptive advantage over one without one. Well, that's true, except that religion can be just as much a divisive force as it is a cohesive force. And in any case, for that theory to hold true, it would mean that there would have to be something uniquely advantageous about religion as a social cohesive enterprise. And there isn't. Kinship is a far more cohesive thing. In fact, our ancient ancestors created their collectives not based on adherence to symbols, but on blood. So other people will say, well, um, maybe it's because religion um, gives us answers to unanswerable questions, um, and that's an adaptive advantage. Okay, well, it's true religion does give us answers to unanswerable questions. But it's absolutely false that that's somehow an adaptive advantage in our prehistoric past. There's no reason why that would help us survive against somebody who doesn't have those answers. Some will say this is the Freudian argument, right? That religion relieves anxiety and certainly that's an adaptive advantage. Except that that's the opposite of what religion does. Religion doesn't relieve anxiety, religion increases anxiety. If you actually believe that the entire universe depends on whether you make this sacrifice on time or not, that doesn't relieve your anxiety, it (laughs) creates anxiety. Finally, Uh the best answer that people give all the time is that, well, religion provides morality, right? Um, It keeps you from killing your neighbor, and that's an adaptive advantage, true. Except that the concept of morality in religion is barely 5,000 years old. The idea that there is a divine lawgiver who tells you do not kill. That's a totally new idea. That's five, 6,000 years old tops. And yeah. we're talking 400, 500,000 years ago. Here's the bottom line, okay? there is almost unanimity now among cognitive scientists and evolutionary theorists that there is no adaptive advantage to religion at all. That on the contrary, the religious impulse actually creates a disadvantage in terms of, again, the material costs necessary, costs that we should be spent on survival instead of on ritual and sacrifice and all of those things. And so there is now essentially a dividing line among most scholars about why then? Why, why? If it's, there's no adaptive advantage, why does religion exist? And the dividing line goes this way. Many cognitive theorists now believe that religion is an accidental byproduct of some other adaptive advantage. And in the book, I, I go clearly about what that is. There's a two, it's a combination of a couple of different things. One called the hyperactive agency detection device, that thing in our brain that assumes that every bump in the night is caused by someone doing the bumping. Um, and then another cognitive process called theory of mind. That thing in our brain that um, turns on when we suddenly realize that someone who looks like me also feels like me, mm-hmm. right? And that's called theory of mind. The dominant theory in cognitive science now and, and the cognitive uh, theories of religion is that you take those two things which are both necessary with both create an adaptive advantage. And an accidental byproduct of that as like a, just an echo, a blip that suddenly arised was the religious impulse. That's a good answer, but I just want to make one last point here. I know I'm rattling on, but I know I wanna make one last point. That's as good an answer as we're just made that way, that there is purpose and design. And that's why I have to go back to what I said before. It's just a choice, It's just a choice which one you believe. Mm -hmm. There's no proof either way.
0: So here's what I got out of that, that religion is like the male nipple. It's there, maybe, do you know, not much is use there? for it, but we, and maybe an accident of history. Yeah. Um, and, and that happens in evolution, by the way. It does, it yeah, does. Yeah. I,
1: again, listen, that is a very good theory, that it's all an accident, yeah.
0: uh, a byproduct of something else that we really needed. So uh, yeah, I had a theory which actually sounds very similar to some of the stuff that you mentioned there at the end, which is that uh, the evolutionary advantage is uh, the ability to figure out causation. And when you have the ability to figure out temporal causation, it helps you to know, hey, if I hear a hissing sound, oh, that must mean a snake, I gotta run, right? Mm -hmm, And and hence, when you look at us, you go, well, there must be a causation here. So I have to find an answer because that is how my brain is structured and that is what gives me an evolutionary advantage to why we're here. Now the problem is 5,000 years ago, they don't have an answer, they think that you that God poked holes in heaven, and that's why lights shine at night. <laughs> right? So they're struggling for an answer, and they have no science. Guys, don't worry, we have science now, right? So I,
1: I'd say a couple of things there. Um, number one, you're you're right in the sense that causation or what what scientists would refer to as agency, right? The mm-hmm. idea that um, that uh, natural phenomena has a human cause behind it, right? Mm-hmm. That that's inbred in our brain. It arose like way back, like way back among the Homo erectus, and it arose because it's a danger sign, right? Mm-hmm. The way that sometimes scientists put it is that hey, it's better to confuse a tree for a bear, and be wrong. Uh, you know, uh, or and be right than to, than to be wrong and be eaten, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. what if it was a bear? Like yeah. it's good that your brain suddenly goes, ah, uh, that's that's hyperactive agency detection. And yes, you're right that according to many many theorists. As an echo of that, that's where the religious impulse comes. But I do wanna clarify this one thing, I think a lot of people, we've had this conversation a lot. Mm-hmm. that you know They think that what religion or what faith really is, is uh, proto-science, right? That it's basically mm-hmm. answers to things that eventually science will answer and then when science answers it, religion goes away. Whether that's, I'm not gonna argue about that as a, as a good theory for religion, I don't think it is. But I do think it's important to understand that religion is a constantly evolving thing. It constantly absorbs the new information that we have about the world around us and just keeps going. Christianity didn't come to an end when we discovered that the Earth wasn't the center of the universe. Christians just said, okay, and then they moved on. Um, So I think this idea that eventually scientific knowledge will replace religious knowledge is an incorrect view, I think what's what's going to happen is that scientific knowledge and religious knowledge will increasingly merge. So if you're talking about what's religion gonna look like 200 years from now, I don't think you're gonna see a, a greater divergence, you're gonna see a greater convergence, especially by the way, as we begin to really delve into the very nature. Of the universe, asking questions not just about natural law, the laws of physics, but about what underlies that. Um, Scientists, you know, sometimes when they talk about those things, they actually do sound like mystics in a way. They use different words. They use words like panpsychism or proto consciousness or, you know, things like that. But, you know, change the words and they sound like some 15th century mystic.
0: Yeah. So again, I agree and disagree. So that's why these conversations are always fun. So I agree that that there is that the Sufis, the the transcendentalists, the the Taoists. And the scientists <laughs> are onto something when we talk about something that we can't physically see. Obviously, there's a million things we can't physically see mm-hmm. that are present in the universe. And it's an interesting conversation. On the other hand, why I can't stand religion as opposed to faith is that it's not like the Constitution, you can't amend it. So once it's wrong, it's wrong forever. Now we change the interpretation because we realize, oh, that's awkward. Uh, in Christianity, it says that the Earth is the center of the universe, and that's just mm. wrong. So I guess <laughs> right. God was incorrect, and I don't wanna say that, but I'm just gonna pretend it's not there anymore, right? In in the Bible, it says don't eat shrimp, uh, don't eat bacon. I love bacon, I love <laughs> shrimp. That, so apparently God was incorrect, but I'm just going to ignore <laughs> that, right? Uh, Turks, they go, okay, God says fast on Ramadan and don't drink alcohol. They're like, okay, I will amend it, so I don't drink during Ramadan, (laughs) but drink the other 11 months. That's not what he said, that's not what he said, okay? So yes, they are actively reinterpreting, and and actually that could tie into today with the evangelicals in America, who apparently think child molestation is not that big a deal, as we're gonna find out in Alabama soon, right? When I thought it was kind of a big (laughs) deal in
1: their religion. I thought we all agreed on
0: Nazis
1: and child molesters, I thought that those two things pretty much unanimity. Yeah. But apparently but, not.
0: Apparently not. So, well look, so I, but the problem is Reza, the text, it's in the text yeah. and it can't be amended and that's why it is obviously incorrect.
1: Again two things. Number 1, you're absolutely right. Religion is an institution. It's a man-made institution. And I mean that literally as in people with penises. It's a man made institution, and any man made institution is corruptible and corrupted. It's an ideology like any ideology, and it can be used to essentially promote anything good or anything bad, and that's what religions have been. And you're right that that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about something else. We're talking about the religious impulse or faith, if you want to use that word. But more importantly, I get this, you know, these kinds of questions. Questions a lot from from people who you know who are not religious or who who are critics of religion. Which, by the way, there's nothing wrong with being a critic of religion. Be a critic of religion. I don't know. Sometimes people think that I I have a problem with that. I have no problems with that at all. You can criticize anything that you want to, but I do think it's important to understand that what you are describing this whole thing of yeah, I know it says that, but I'm going to ignore it, and I know that it says this, but I don't feel that's called religion. I think. People outside of religion think that religious people are automatons, that they're like robots, you know, that you program with scripture and then they act exactly how the scripture tells them to. Nobody does that. The most fundamentalist fundamentalist doesn't do that. You know, when you meet somebody who's like, the Bible says it, ah, that settles it and I believe it, ask them, oh, really? Do you take your disobedient children to the outskirts of town and stone them to death? No, that's just, you know, figurative. Everybody reads the Bible through their own lens. This is the whole point. If you make God in your image, if you endow God with your ideas, then of course, when you read scripture, you read it through your own lens. Mm -hmm. It's up to you how you read it. Now, some people would say, well, that's hypocritical, or that's not really religious, that people who do read it in those terms aren't actually doing it the way that they're supposed to, etc, etc. It's just that that's not true. That's how it's always been.
0: Yeah. Always. All right, last thing on this is that, look, I don't want to say I agree and disagree. <laughs> <laughs> but just to clarify so I 100% agree with you that people who say if you believe in religion X, then by definition you believe everything that's in those texts, and hence you're a dangerous person. If that were the case, Christians would have already destroyed the planet cuz they believe in Armageddon and they would have nuked everyone mm-hmm. and so that their beloved Jesus can come back. No, they don't actually believe it, right? And, and, and they could be hypocritical and dangerous and terrible whether they're Christians, Muslims or any other religion. Uh, and they could take, not believe it in a good way. They could not believe it in a really bad way. No one actually believes all of the text. No one. Nobody does. And and so it's a question of what parts they chose to believe in. So you can't say the text of this religion says this. Hence, everyone in that religion must believe it. Correct. That is not remotely true. And it is. Again, counterfactual and to the point of ignorance to make that claim. But it's a common claim. It's a very common claim, usually by the right wing, who think that they're sophisticated. Oh, did you know? It says in the Quran this. Yeah. Hence, all Muslims are bad. Well, it <laughs> says in the Old Testament <laughs> and, and in the New Testament, this. So are all Christians bad? No, 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 uh, yeah, no, yeah. Christians are awesome, <laughs> uh, Muslims are terrible, but by the way, I claim to be an atheist. Okay, you should look into that because uh, that's not what atheists are really supposed to believe. Yeah. I love the idea that no, 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 some hardcore atheists think there's no way any of the religions are true. Good, I agree with you, okay? and But it's more likely that Jesus will come back to <laughs> Jerusalem than Zimbabwe. <laughs> Jeez, if you're an atheist, <laughs> Jesus doesn't exist. Yeah. He's not up in the clouds. There is a zero percent chance <laughs> he's coming to Zimbabwe or Missouri or Jerusalem. Zero, zero, or
1: or an equal percent chance at Zimbabwe or Jerusalem. So that's yeah, okay.
0: <laughs> but but the the problem is that the scripture exists, mm-hmm. which allows people to cherry pick. Yes, and and so the scripture is. I can't get past it. It's wrong. Every it's invented. It is man-made. Wrong, wrong is the wrong word for it. <laughs> this is where Look, you and I have our fundamental same, disagreement. The
1: same Old Testament that says "Do unto others as you would have them do unto you" also says to kill every man, woman, and child who doesn't worship Yahweh alone. Definitely, the same, that's the, same the problem. Jesus, the same Jesus who said, <laughs> uh, "You know." <clears throat> if you know uh, turn the other cheek and if you know someone doesn't have a cloak give them your cloak also said that i have not come to bring peace but the sword and that he who doesn't have a sword should sell his cloak and buy one the same quran that says that if you kill one person it's as though you have killed all of humanity also says slay the idolater wherever you find them scripture without without interpretation is just words on a page your argument, though, is that because there is some bad stuff in the scripture, the whole thing
0: is worthless. No, no, my and argument is that it is wrong. The right parts are wonderful, but also <laughs> wrong. The wrong parts are well, terrible and also wrong, cuz there is no dude in the sky with a beard that talked to Mohammed. It, Mohammed made it up. Okay. It's just factually incorrect that he talked so to again. You. Allah. So again, you're
1: in, this t- in this case, you're confusing truth and fact. Uh-huh. You're saying that the facts of scripture are incorrect. And the truth of the matter is that most religious people throughout history wouldn't have a problem with that with that statement because they would not be interested in the facts of the situation. They're interested in the truth that comes out of the fact. We have a term in modern parlance called myth, right? And we think that myth means something that's not true. Pick up a dictionary, that's Mm -hmm. not what myth means. That's the connotation of myth, not the denotation of myth. The denotation of myth Is that a story about gods and goddesses? And so we say, well, all scriptures are myth, correct. All scriptures are myth because they talk about gods and goddesses. But they are not false in the sense of factually incorrect. Because what the scripture is interested in what it's supposed to be interested in is a much deeper truth that has far more far less to do than the dates and the facts that is being presented it is only in the modern world we who are the the heirs of the scientific revolution who look to our scriptures for factual information people did not do that i think people think that oh well biblical literalism that must have been how it's always been read no Biblical literalism was invented 200 years ago by Protestants, mostly in America, who were reacting to the scientific revolution. And this notion that that which is true is that which can be factually verified. And what they said was, well, then that means the Bible must be factually verified. Otherwise, it's not true. That's not how the first Christians read it. That's not how the
0: Jews read their Bible. Yeah, well, then they shouldn't have written it down with a bunch of (laughs) bullshit in it. (laughs) Okay, anyway, you and I are never gonna agree on that. (laughs) Moses never split the Red Sea, never rained frogs. Those are not true, Moses didn't even exist. But Israeli archaeologists went to go find him in Egypt, and they thought they'd find evidence of him. There was no Moses, none. It's actually true that you're right. There is there is absolutely no
1: archaeological evidence that has ever been found to show the existence of Israelites in Egypt or of the Exodus.
0: Yes, okay, so now you wrote, That Trumpism is a cult. Uh, Trumpism is a cult. Yeah. uh, So how does that connect to this? And what do you mean by that?
1: Well, let me be clear. When I use the word cult, I use it in its pejorative sense. (laughs) Good
0: for you. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) you know, scholars we try not
1: to use the word cult because Uh you know it's a it's a value judgment word. You know, it's like your religion is a cult and my religion is a religion. And as I as I never get tired of saying, cult plus time equals religion.
0: Yes. So yes.
1: But in this case Appreciate. in this case <laughs> I mean it really specifically in the terms that it's been used in the pejorative sense, by by which I mean a, an insulated group of individuals in thrall to a charismatic leader to whom they have given divine status, prophetic status. And that is definitely what has happened among a large swath of white evangelicals when it comes to Trump. Let's back up and just make sure we're on the same page here, 81% of white evangelicals vote voted for Donald Trump in this last election. That's a record. That's more white evangelicals than voted for George W. Bush, and he was a white evangelical. Um, to this day, Trump has the lowest approval ratings of any president in modern history. His, his presidency is deteriorating before our very eyes. He has lost support in almost every single category except white evangelicals. To this day, still three quarters of white evangelicals strongly support him. And among those three quarters, according to the uh, uh, PRRI, this is the Public Religion Research Institute, um, among those three quarters of white evangelicals, support for him is highest among those who go to church at least once a week. So the more religiously devout evangelical you are, White evangelical, the more likely you are to support a lying, lecherous, greedy, sexist, racist, narcissistic sociopath whose entire worldview makes a mockery of Christianity. It makes a mockery of basic Christian tenets like humility and empathy and care for the poor. Mm-hmm. And scholars like myself have been just racking our brains trying to figure this out. Because it makes no sense. These are after all the people who call themselves value voters, right? <laughs> this, is, this is the moral majority as they like to refer to themselves. Mm-hmm. So why, why, why? There's a couple of reasons. Number one, you've noticed I keep saying white evangelical, white evangelicals. 67% of evangelicals of color actually supported Hillary Clinton. So these are people who believe the same thing. But who just have a different skin tone. So Mm -hmm. let's not forget that race has something to do with it. Mm -hmm. But the one figure that I think is impossible for us to really understand, again, PRRI did this research. White evangelicals in the span of a single election cycle, in other words, going from Barack Obama to Donald Trump, They went from being the group in America that was most likely to say that public morality in a politician matters to now the group that is least likely to say that. (laughs) Atheists in America say public morality in a politician matters more than white evangelicals who call themselves value voters. There is only one real explanation for this and that it's in the same way that Trump has transformed the Republican Party has really hijacked the Republican Party. He has transformed white evangelicals into a large swath of white evangelicals into his own personal cult. He has convinced them that he has this kind of divine prophetic status. Frank Media, one of his biggest evangelical boosters said that he believes that Trump receives downloads from God. Mm -hmm. Um, He has created almost this prophetic nature for him. Franklin Graham, his biggest evangelical supporter before the election, positively compared Donald Trump to Abraham and Moses and David. he has essentially made himself higher than Jesus. Robert Jeffers, his his chief evangelical supporter today, his chief evangelical advisor, said that he would vote for Donald Trump over someone who espouses the morality of Jesus. <laughs> um, to, you know, this morning I saw this morning I saw on CNN a panel of of Trump supporters. One of them literally said. And I quote, if Jesus Christ came down from the cross and told me that Trump was involved with Russia, I'd have to go to Trump to ask him if it was true or not.
0: Wow, This thank you for being an absolute exactly,
1: mindless idiot. This is cult like behavior. This is not normal political rhetoric. This is the, I've studied cults, I've hung out with cults. This is what I hear from cult members, not from politicians. Yeah. And the reason that, I, that I'm sounding the alarm right now is that as most of us know, when cults you know, encounter reality <laughs> and disappointment, it doesn't end well. And whatever you think of Donald Trump, this is a presidency that is deteriorating before our very eyes. We're having open conversations about the 25th Amendment and impeachment. We've got multiple indictments, we've got multiple investigations. And already you're hearing these evangelicals say, as Pat Robertson very famously said, that disobeying Trump is akin to disobeying God. As Paula White said, You know that, that rejecting Trump is rejecting the hand of God. As Roger Stone just recently said, if you try to remove Trump from power, there will be blood on the streets. The only thing more dangerous than a cult leader is a cult leader facing martyrdom. And that's what we are looking at right now. So not only is Trumpism a
0: cult, it's a doomsday cult. Okay, you've done a great job of scaring me. (laughs) Okay, mission accomplished. (laughs) Uh, Let me quickly address some of the things that you said. If Jesus came down, of course, they wouldn't believe him. They call him a communist, because Jesus says, give, take everything you own, sell it and give it to the poor. Worse That's than in the Bible. A, worse than a communist, a Jewish communist. Yeah, if, they, if you don't like Bernie Sanders, wait till <laughs> you get a load of Jesus, okay? So of course, they wouldn't believe him. And cults are, look, even fraternities are small time cults. And I remember in college, somebody on my hall came up to me and said, if my fraternity told me to kill my mother, I would. And, and I was like, okay, I want no part I'm of done. the fraternity, right? <laughs> yeah. and that's part of why, why I don't want any part of the fraternity of religions. Because it breeds the one thing that I think explains all this, the one word, it's tribalism. Tribalism, okay. absolutely. And so that's why in Islam and in Christianity and in Judaism, it is perfectly normal to say be really great and decent to the people that are in your tribe, but murder every other tribe. The Old Testament is filled with murder every other tribe, yeah. and the Quran also has murder all the yep. other tribes, right? It is tribalism. So when you take tribalism, and then you marry it to present day America, and that's why you have even evangelicals not based on their religious ideology, but based on their tribe saying either no, we don't like this guy, or we love this guy, and we will and we'll do anything, anything he tells us to yeah. do. You have a recipe for absolute disaster. And that's where we are today.
1: Agreed. I will just say that it's absolutely 100% true that religion is is formulated by tribalism. That's true. But that's who we are as human beings. That religion isn't as an ideology any different than any other tribalistic ideology. Nationalism is tribalism. Socialism is tribalism. Marxism, you know, ethnicity. This, these are all based on tribal ideals. Now, some people will say, yeah, but religion is different because it's tribalism plus absolutism. right? And that's a very dangerous combination. And I agree, except that that same sense of absolutism can also exist in non-religious ideologies like nationalism. America, right or wrong, I love it. Or Germany, right or wrong. No matter what, yeah, exactly. It's is the greatest country in the world. Is that based on facts or figures or data? No, it's just based on inalienable truth. We are tribalist People, um, and I again. I just want to say you're right that religion does that, but I don't think religion does that any more or or less than nationalism does. I mean, if you're going to blame religion for, you know, religious violence, then let's blame fascism or nationalism for fascism.
0: Well, I blame uh, I blame them both. Okay, <laughs> so I'm an equal opportunity blamer, <laughs> and and as you know, the Nazis were both nationalist and according to their own words deeply deeply Christian. religious yeah that's God right mit uns yeah. hitler said i did it for christ
1: yeah and absolutely and he killed
0: the jews because they killed jesus that's yeah, hitler's I mean, we words we
1: cannot we cannot forget the religious undertones of the holocaust right. you're absolutely right
0: and and so both are dangerous look we're out of time so we'll save the conversation about believer for another day, and you and Believer used to be on CNN, but it might be somewhere else soon. Yeah, I just got Believer back from mm. CNN.
1: It was a long and arduous process, and I'm in the process now of placing it
0: elsewhere, and perhaps maybe even doing some more. Fascinating. I'm looking forward to that. And God, a human history is out now, so everybody check that out. Reza, thanks for coming back on the Young Turks. Always Appreciate a pleasure, it. Jack.